Hey everybody, welcome to The Goat's Eye View, or as Lena has declared, the goatening is now well and truly upon us. Um, this evening I am joined by Adam, Rachel, please. And we are going to be talking about table talk, or more specifically, communication in tabletop RPGs. This was one of our more requested topics. This is kind of a continuation of last week's um, DMGM roundtable. We had like this whole block of questions that were all around. How do I talk to people before the game? How do I set this up? How do I get people to, you know, do this? What happens when things are going badly and we need to have a hard conversation? We're like, yeah, we can just kind of circle those move those to another week to that end we're actually talking about in certain ways a not less mechanical topic and more of just communications um lots of people it's interesting because i personally spend a fair amount of time on like D reddit and things like that and i would say every third topic is probably i have x problem how do i talk about it with someone or how do I get people to understand that this is what I want out of this? And so one of the things that we want to provide is not just, hey, here's ways that you talk about character building or anything like that, but just communication strategies generally. Um, a little bit different than most of the other goats I've used. One of the things that we want to talk about is have this be less a structured, here's a list of questions, um, though these are very much based on questions that Monty and Tibby had asked in the Discord and that various other users had asked over time in the Twitch chats. So we wanted to acknowledge those people that had contributed to this, but also have a little bit more of a free-form discussion. So just as an open topic, um, one of the things that's actually a really big point with D&D is how do you set, or D&D tabletop RPGs generally, how do you set yourself up for success beforehand? And I was, I kind of wanted to just generally ask, what tools do you all like to use, perhaps as GMs, or do you like to see used as players or tips that you've seen online, things like that? I mean, one tool that <clears throat> I know we've all used in various forms, either as GMs or as players, uh, is just like a consent sheet ahead of time. <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of uh, people in chat too have seen this. this is basically um, like <clears throat> uh, similar to like a yes, no, maybe sheet or something green, red, yellow, right? There's a bunch of different kind of ways to structure it. And there's some really good free resources that have them available for specifically tabletop gaming. Um, but it's like a list of topics, right? And mm -hmm. it's like, how comfortable are you with these topics? And it ranges from things um, like pretty, uh, like common phobias, like bugs and things like that, to like really intense, like commonly shared trigger topics like sexual assault. And, um, and it's really, it's a nice way to get the conversation started, especially, um, because players can fill it out privately and the, only the GM has to see it, right? Um, and so uh, the GM can kind of see like, oh, I okay, like this is just a, you know, very sensitive issue for somebody. We're just completely leaving that out, which is something we did for Spire. I mean, there's so many things <laughs> I inspire about like how, are, you know, we can't, we can't totally avoid issue, some, some issues of um, consent and some issues of, like slavery, right? Like there's no way to avoid that inspire if we didn't want to look at that sense particular sensitive topic in some way, like we would have to choose a different system besides spire. And that's just part of the game, right? And that's okay. Like if if your players don't want to deal with those quest those issues, then you just don't play spire. And that's yeah. 
how, you know, I think a lot of systems, uh, that's one thing that D&D is really good for is you get to build whatever type of world, whereas something like Spire, where the world's already built, you have to kind of like say up front, like, there's no way we can avoid racism in this world. This world is predicated on racism. So we're going to be dealing with it in some way. So if that's something we don't want, then we either change up who is playing in that system or we, if we want the same players, then we scrap using Spire and we try something else, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's certainly one of the tools um, I've highlighted it since they came out with it, because it was nice to see a larger game publisher start to do it. Monty Cook uh, produced the Consent and Gaming Guide. Um, and a lot of these, it's also worth noting for not attribution because it's not like directly to a person. Um, but a lot of these guides and a lot of these concepts are borrowed from other communities and derived from them. Lines and Veils is also a really common one that's has a long history of practice in psychotherapeutic interventions. Um, there's also, and for example, like the Monty Cook one is largely driven from the sort of stoplighting system. Um, very common, for example, like kink community. Hey, this is where this works. To be fair, it also gets a little bit weird because they didn't change any of the terms. So there is a box in there for enthusiastic consent for genocide. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah, like, I, <laughs> that was like one of the things I remember reading, like multiple like iterations of that. And it was someone was like, can we rename enthusiastic consent yes. for this? Because I don't really understand how I'm enthusiastically consenting. Like it feels wrong to click enthusiastic consent to like, I'm okay with themes of rape. And like, that's right. seems wrong well, yeah, like the yeah, one of like killing it. children was a box and i'm like <laughs> yeah i'm fine and don't have any concern if my players are like i have no problem with this being content of the story enthusiastic consent feels a little <laughs> mm, i always find it funny too on those sheets because um violence to animals and violence to children are like back to back and i'm always like no violence to animals and on violence to children i'm like no okay eh, what <laughs> I'm like, am i a bad person I <laughs> Yeah, and the um, and one thing I would say, so yeah, we we tend to use that. I think we we used that before Amberheart, and I just rolled it over because it was the same group of players. And I always encourage my players to fill it out anonymously, give it back to me, and then um, if there's any issues that I need to talk about, which aren't even like a oh I don't like this, I feel constrained by this, it's just like I'd like a little more clarity around some things because sometimes there can also be uh, boxes in there that I'm like, well, okay no harm to animals are you okay with fighting a dire wolf or do you mean like if i've got a person torturing a puppy that's a problem and those are i find those i enthusiastically consent to puppy <laughs> torture no! you're a monster <laughs> um, there will be some judgment here just as a no <laughs> um but that's that's uh I find that the best part of that isn't even just, oh, hey, I've got this little sheet and here's the problems. It's like, it's really useful for me to engender a conversation of, hey, what exactly do we mean by this? Because I don't, I don't want to cause harm for anyone. You know, I don't want to, what, what does that mean? Let's look at that. Let's think about that a little more deeply. And I think that those have been some of the best conversations I've had with players in terms of those comments. I will also very briefly say, and I'm pretty sure we don't have any in the chat because when I first announced my book gaming, I told these people to fuck off. But if you are someone who, as a DM, are like, no, having to have informed consent in my gaming is an infringement of my rights as a DM, no. No, it isn't. It is, yes, fuck off. <laughs> All the way off. I don't off. even understand that <laughs> argument. Yeah, no. Again, I will go back to the point of tabletop RPGs is if you, as the, the game master, and your players have fun, 
no one is going to be having fun if they're traumatized. You are doing active harm. There's a huge difference between emotionally charged content that can get your players feeling like riled up and uh, angry and sad and traumatizing or re-traumatizing somebody by including themes that you, especially themes that you already know are triggers for somebody's trauma, right? Like that's worlds of difference. Like, and I think that's why these consent sheets are so important is because it like, it helps you see like, oh, okay, like nobody in my player group is like traumatized by this particular topic. So it's actually a really great resource to tap for emotionally charged content that isn't going to leave somebody like yeah. unable to sleep that night and like, right. you know, having to like call their therapist again after 10 years, which like, hey, I love therapy. I'm in it. I love it. I'm not mocking yeah, it. I'm just no. saying. You shouldn't push <laughs> like somebody to that point. Yeah, you shouldn't push somebody to that for point. Fun. Mm-hmm. But that's and that's that that feeling for me, fun, right? And that's that feeling for me of if you do it up front, if you have this conversation up fucking front, you can still surprise the players because I feel like a lot of times now, admittedly, they're also just man babies whinging about things generally, and they're <laughs> wanting to gatekeep a wonderful hobby that I think should be made even more inclusive. But it's like, you can still, okay, I'm sorry, I, this person is really, really bothered and finds really triggering harm to children. I can, off the top of my head, think of half a dozen things that I could do to produce a really tense, emotionally charged situation that forces the party to act quickly and feels like it has stakes that are not the villain holding a knife to a kid's throat. And I'm like, but if I... If I didn't know that, if I hadn't had that conversation, I might have gone with the knife at the kid's throat because, as as we've been discussing, the harm to children is not really one that worries me that much. It's not deeply upsetting for me. I mean, I don't I don't enthusiastically consent to it. My characters are almost to a person going to stop it, very aggressively stop it. But but it's a big thing, especially with like from a, what I have heard from a lot of like parents that i know yeah. was that they used to not have a problem with it until they had kids and then like Ooh. they watch a horror movie and as soon as like the kids in danger they're, they're like just turn it fucking off i can't my mother made it, you know yeah my mother made the comment when i was a kid that and i was really confused because she wouldn't watch adult like movies like r-rated films that had kids in them because she was like then there's no point the only reason a child exists in that movie is for them to be in peril that's it. That's the only <laughs> time you ever see a child. And she's like, and I'm not going to do it. I'm scared enough that something bad is going to happen to you or your brother. I do not need to have this lived out on the screen. But the thing that, that I was saying is like, yeah, I might have completely naively included something like that as an element in the game. And then when it happens, either someone's going to have trauma, very bad feelings, or we need to stop the scene and figure out what to do, which would absolutely be the best if that happened to happen. But that's that is much more disruptive to the game than having had a conversation before weeks before we ever got there and me going, Oh, okay. Um, you know, they're holding key documents hostage, not a kid done. Party is still Uh, pressed to do something. (laughs) I did want to say, so about these things that you guys have been talking about, I play in a game with my friends locally here. And, uh, uh, it's a, it's a, pretty intense game like it is very much designed to be like this is going to fuck with your brain you are going to have to deal with some pretty intense like feelings of depression and anxiety and 
and all of the like it's it's kind of like and he told us about this ahead of time it was going to be designed to be like you're going to have to deal with a lot of shit you know and so we all consented to it and talked about it and but every time that we play if something's going to happen like just this last weekend we were playing and before we started our dm constantine he said um uh hey so you're most likely going to be running into a character where I'm going to be pretty fucking mean to you. Like, really personal, really, really difficult mean things specifically about your character. And just let me know if you can't handle that right now. Like, let me know if that's a big thing. So, like, sure, it took away... Like, we knew we were going into a big fight or a big something. But, like, that way, somebody like me, who was having not the greatest of times, could say... I basically said, you know... I don't really know if I'm mentally stable enough for that right now. So how about you get started with the others and then I can tell you if I feel like I'm up to it. And then so he did. And I was like, yeah, you know, I could handle this kind of a thing. But it's just he kind of prepped us in the moment, even though we'd already consented to those things in the beginning. Just like, hey, this is going to be really difficult as a part of the story. Yeah. Are you up for it? And I really just that's also a really good thing to just feel, you know, to basically show your players that you are okay if they're not able to handle something that you want to throw at them. You know, like if they're allowed to just be honest and be like, you know, I really can't handle somebody to, like pointing out all my weaknesses right now. <laughs> That's just not yeah. something I need. Yeah. So that was also really useful that you can just do it. If you know you're coming to a difficult part, just have a conversation about it ahead of time too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that that's super critical. I mean, as someone, um, Tibby actually just commented in the chat, it shows that you care about your players. And I, I, I would personally say as like, as a DM and currently both Rachel and Lisa, like, I, I, I would hope that I would come across as someone who cares about your mental well-being way more in any possible way, shape or form than a story beat or anything else. Like <laughs> that's more important. Yep. <laughs> I feel like that, that's also like, another thing that I do frequently with my players is check in with them behind the scenes, right. Individually, just like, Hey, <clears throat> you know, like, I don't know if I was reading this right. Right. It's, it's for me, it's like such an easy thing to say, like, I wasn't sure. And I don't want to like project my feelings onto you. So I just want you to clarify for me. Right. I wasn't sure if I was reading this right, but something about your expression or your tone of voice kind of indicated to me that you were more upset than just role-playing like than your, that your character was upset. So I just wanted to like double check with you. Are you okay? What happened? Is there something from your experience from the game tonight or whatever that, um, we need to like talk about so that I know to avoid that particular type of thing in the future. And also just offering to players, like if I notice them upset in the moment, like take a break, right? We all go to go get a snack, get the water, get water, and then check in with the player that you noticed was upset. Like, should I call it early? Like I can call it early tonight. I can just say like, Oh darn, my dog broke her toenail and I got to go. Right. And then we just, quit the game early and nobody even has to know that that player was upset about something if they were right. And like those, those are the kinds of things like looking out for your players, reading the table in terms and like trying to keep like, that's kind of not the same as the, the impetus for this question was like, what do you do way early? But this is like in the moment, right? Oh, like going around connecting. We're, we're yeah. flowing. We're flowing through. Trying this. to like read the table and not take it personally. Right. Like if someone's looking upset, like, 
that moment of like defensiveness of like, but it's my game, but it's not like, it's what we talked about last week, right? It's not your game. It's our game. And if someone's upset, then that's the first thing to take care of. Right. But even as a player, that's good. Like in a game that we played recently, Elise and I had a thing where I was like getting annoyed visibly at a like an interaction we were having <laughs> and Elise reached out and was like hey I'm sorry if I pushed that too far and it meant a lot to me because I was like uh, just to have her be like I'm sorry I pushed that button and it was nice to be able to be like yeah you know it's okay I'm sorry for overreacting and then it was fine you know and it didn't have to be like me wondering well, crap, did I overreact on Elise and now she's going to be mad or Elise wondering like, oh, did I offend Rachel and now she's not going to be, it was just like, hey, let me check in. And it's like, oh yeah, no, we're cool. Here's my thoughts. And then it was done, you know, and we're still friends somehow. It's, it's worth, I mean, it's worth noting from my perspective. So like, I mean, in, in the fates of Rin, right, Galway, like we've had as a group, as players, multiple kind of hiccups and bumps along the way of like, Moments like kind of what Elise was talking about in terms of like the line between role playing feelings and personal feelings kind of getting blurred. And that is a whole other series of like, I think, goat's eye views that we should do at some point as if talking about it. But, but what I want to say right now is that like, it's also, it's a learning process to, to figure out how to communicate with one another about those things like it, it, it like sometimes like it, if it doesn't happen perfectly right away like the kind of interaction that elise and, and, and rachel they're describing like i would encourage folks to be gentle with themselves too like definitely actively try to check in with people but also like you know for for fates of Ren, we've you know for the longest time we didn't play with cams on and that was you know one of the big things that came up that we kind of had to talk about as a group after after one of the sessions was you know interesting to note here if we were on if we were in the same room or at the very least if we were on cam together we would have seen each other's faces and we would have known that like there were some heavy feelings going on here and so um checking in like that and 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 and, and is important but and 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 working together to kind of along the way like develop those those open kind of uh channels for communication and it's not, i don't think it ever gets to a, a point of perfection either like you know we're human beings we're imperfect and we all have shit going on at any given point and so that's a part of it is kind of aspiring to this this um this form of open honest compassionate communication and also like, like being okay and and being patient with yourselves and each other when it when it doesn't go that way hopefully yeah. right and then and and checking in again at a time when okay can we all like check in and like what was wrong with that session like what what was difficult um i i i, I just yeah that's that's such a a, a relevant thing that I, I know that we've just been experiencing it with the fates of Rin. Like we've had a few like meetings about like talking about okay, what is what is going on? And that's okay. It has to be okay. Because if it's not okay then And it's super relevant right now because like you were saying, Adam, a lot of these things don't happen in the same way when you're all sitting around a table. Right. Exactly. And like I've had sessions where I could see players were getting 
frustrated either with each other because there were different ideas in the party. And I, and just like Elise said, I'm like, let's grab some snacks. I'm hungry. I think I was just like, I'm hungry. I want to grab a snack. Let's take a five minute break. And what I've generally found is when you're playing, especially with a group of friends around a table, you can intervene if you're GMing or if you're another player, but also generally those those players will just sort of talk about it and take the step back. It diffuses a little bit. And then you can have a little bit of a, a, a table talk conversation, right? It's like, yeah, we're just going to talk over the table about all of this and let's nail this down. And then it kind of smooths back out. But right now, the vast majority of us are not afforded that opportunity. We're playing online. We're playing hopefully with videos and bikes because that's way more connecting i would say to each other like i've just enjoyed since we started playing just being able to see adam acting stuff out like it's fun i enjoy getting to see andy get really excited about something and also it adds the extra level of joy when he starts talking with his hands as i'm doing right now (laughs) but he's on push to talk and i can actually see his mouth going instead of me being like we haven't heard anything in like 15 seconds did andy dc did his dog pull out the router from the wall again, or is he talking with his? He's talking he's with just his. Just too hands. excited. Yeah, no, and he'll be like, yeah. <laughs> like d- we can't. Yeah, I think it's also. Sorry, Adam, are you nope. going to say something? Well, I. I don't know. I guess not. Oh. I was going to say, but I, I have less experience with. I, I I've never GM'd campaigns like. Um, any campaign. I've only done, I've jammed three times, it was three one-shots, and so for me, um, I've never been kind of in a, necessarily like a, a, a leadership position of kind of navigating communication channels over the course of a campaign. Um, but I was going to throw out there that, and, and this is kind of an asterisk, this is kind of, and so I, I it, it's not quite kind of, okay, I've got to Two things I want to say. <laughs> One, the only the like in terms of like the question of setting up the possibility of like of of good communication between players and a good kind of overall gaming experience. The one thing that I've kind of done for for my the three one shots that I've done is just been very I've tried to be very clear with players about kind of my mo as a gm and kind of my goal and like what the expectations are around like what this one shot's going to be like and every time it's basically the same thing which is like look i don't know what's going to happen in there or out there <laughs> and i just my mo like my, the the top priority is just having fun and so and just trying to take away as much pressure of like and, and tension around like oh my god like what is this um, just making it seem like, look, we're just playing a game. We're just having fun. Um, and kind of foregrounding that both before the game and then during the game, like that's been important for me is just kind of like trying to be very clear, like, look, I just want this to be a good time. And if at any point it's not, let's fucking fix it together and try to make it a good time together. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not quite on the topic of what was being discussed. The second thing I wanted to say was, um, well, I mean, I see in chat, Lena was saying like, like, oh man, like maybe I should have been in on this discussion. <laughs> and like, so weirdly, I've just got like this itch in the back of my head. That's like, maybe this is an example of like, maybe I could like model an example of like checking in, right? Like I'm exhausted right now. <laughs> And, like, I feel like I've already tapped 
maybe what I could share tonight. And so, <laughs> so like, I would like to, uh, like, at least extend the invitation to Lena. Like, if you want to take my place. Like also, for complete transparency, to? she was invited to this. She before. was invited. Yeah, yeah. I was like, just so it's not like, yeah, we just didn't no, invite her to this. <laughs> if she's if she's feeling like she wants to hop in now, that would be one way to do it. And then to be clear, I'm not saying like, guys, I'm not feeling this. I want to let leave. <laughs> it's just that I kind of saw her expressing that, and I was like, oh, well, maybe we could. <laughs> so, Lena, DM me or something, but. Um, just trying to model like, oh, somebody else might want to participate, and I don't know how much I'm going to be able to like offer after this point. Um, Rachel, do you remember what you were going to say before I? Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, you didn't do anything. I we talked at the same time, so then I, well, I was my voice has been heard a lot more than yours, so I wanted to make sure you could say stuff. Um, getting back to whatever the fuck track, I don't know. Really, everything's everywhere. Um, yeah, it's all fine. Um, we've been talking a lot about open communication and being like able and willing to share these kinds of things, but it's also really important and really difficult to be the one that receives it in a way that's that's good. So like I've I've trained a lot specifically with communication in children and like children frustrated adults are basically just children like a lot of their reactions are the same very much and like one of the immediate reactions of frustrated adults and children is to get defensive you know and so you can it's hard sometimes in the moment to not just be like well i didn't do that or no you're just overreacting or whatever and i think it's really important to try and notice that in yourself and you're not always going to notice it right away like i am a defensive ass motherfucker and I definitely sometimes I'm like, no, it wasn't me. You're stupid. And then later on, I was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was me. It was me. It was add, me. Add, add that but to yeah. the quote list. <laughs> but like, it's it's really important to try and those are some knuckles. See, this is why I like doing this live all on camera because I like that in my view because I'm keeping on my monitor like the the cams are sort of front and center so that I'm looking at least marginally at my camera and I just see Adam adjust his camera and in my peripheral vision I just see two other heads and mine go (laughs) like (laughs) I just saw skin like right here and I was just like um what you doing buddy so I'm sorry I was drinking water from an enormous like and water jug that I, I was I embarrassed about, I guess. You're fine. No no worries here. Um, but I think it's really important to A, understand how to notice when you're doing that, you know, and B, understand how to interact with somebody who is doing that because continually pushing for it is only going to be an argument, you know, and not to use like too much like teacher or whatever language, but like a lot of that uh that stuff is like using i st- so like my last school i'm not a big fan of like acronyms and shit uh and like which is weird for an elementary school teacher i know i didn't have a whole lot of those like shiny posters around cuz i just i think they're useless and i'd rather talk about things and have a bunch of pictures up anyway uh but one of the things that we had to have was like um it was the acronym was like think and uh you had like the t was was it true so like 
kids lie a lot, and that's not as useful <laughs> with adults. They lie too, but they fucking do. Like even kids that would you wouldn't think would lie, they lie. They're still learning. <laughs> is it helpful? Like, is there a reason for you bringing it up? Is it helpful for you to discuss this at, in this moment? You know, and then I is using I statements rather than like you fucked up, you did a bad job, you made me angry. It's you know I felt this way when this happened. I didn't enjoy, like, you know, it's just always kind of framing it around yourself as opposed to being accusatory. And then, so we don't have to go through the whole thing. We're not children. It's fine. <laughs> we're like, we're three-fifths <laughs> of the way there. Yeah, what? just tell us what the N and the K N and K. Right, the <laughs> N is for, ne- is it necessary? So, like, sometimes kids are huge tattlers and stuff, too, you know, so that's where a lot of that comes from. But, like, is it really necessary to bring this up? Uh, and sometimes people, if you're the person who just wants to stir shit you know is it really necessary to do that right now and then um the k was for is it kind because also kids can be assholes so (laughs) there's that but a lot of it is just like thinking about what you say before you say it and if you come off as really accusatory or keep pushing when somebody is obviously not receiving it well you're not going to get anywhere you know like it's just you need to think about how you frame things because people don't like hearing, like, what you did there really sucked. Because they're immediately going to be like, well, fuck you, you know? You don't get to tell me about myself. So. The the way that, like, I often phrase this is, like, centering your experience, right? So, like, mm-hmm. the that's, like, the I statement. But essentially, like, it's not about... Because perception and outcomes are so often not linked to intention right someone can intend to do or say something in a certain way and it can come out sounding completely opposite so when you say that was mean you were mean to me and the person's like oh my god my intention was to be nice now they're on the defensive right whereas when you center that experience of like hey I don't know what you meant, but like, I felt really put on the spot. I felt really defensive. I felt like it was just like being attacked. Um, then it's like that experience. Like you can't say like that. I didn't feel that way. Or if you do say that you're an asshole. I was say, that's um, a right? different conversation because, that's then yeah. happening. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And so like centering experience, and that's another thing of inviting experience, right? Like that's what I was saying earlier with like players who seem upset at the table. Like I didn't intend to upset them, but I can recognize that they were upset anyway. Right. And so then I'm like, can I, I would like to invite you to share your experience of what just happened with me, because I need to understand, right, how you perceived and what the actual outcome of my actions and words were, despite whatever my intentions may have been. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's, that's a very grad school feeling conversation for me and Adam, I'm sure, because intention versus outcome is like a huge thing in rhetoric, right? Um, that intention is basically a non-issue in rhetoric. We don't deal with author intent um at all almost and so it's that's the but it kind of comes from that of same line of thinking of like center like i statements and things but i think it helps also like contextualize why we say like use i statements because i learned that as a kid and i think that my brother and i like weaponized i statements against each other anyway because we didn't (laughs) understand that the point was centering our own experience um and so like uh, knowing why you use i statements i think is also important no it's it super is and it's also something that is definitely glossed over a lot by people because they just 
have these picture things up there that are like use I statements and kids are like yeah sure whatever as opposed to it being I think and you then, suck. And then, yeah, but, like what I always did as a kid was like I feel like you were mean to me. Yeah, right? that's what and kids I, try and do, and like you gotta be. I mean, I like, feel like you were an asshole. <laughs> like, right, that's kids not... definitely try that, mm-hmm. and uh, not that this is a podcast podcast thing about Eventually, whatever something. it is about kids but like it's true like these kinds of things like you it's important to actually understand the intention behind what was being done yeah anyway oh well i was gonna say the other thing that i really like about that model and about that model trying to think about stuff and trying to sort of pause and to go also to your point elise of reaching out um, in this case very gm focused advice but for example i i had a play session in person with a player who was getting that kind of upset where they're disconnecting from what's going on and they're just not really engaging as much you know it's that yeah um yeah sure i go with the party and it's like okay something's happening i'm like all right let's 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 take a quick break and i I sort of pulled him aside and and he was like oh and as soon as i asked him he goes oh no it's nothing with you or the game i literally just got a text about a friend being in an accident and i know that this is kind of an extreme example but it's like one of these things that's also really important when we're in especially this more isolated online context sometimes it ain't about the game or the players or the dming or the story at all it's something else entirely like i have had days where i know i am not as interactive you can probably find them in the streams in the podcast where charity seems weirdly grumpy and it may be because i was in like a seven hour meeting that day galway was grumpy and i just couldn't do goodest tiefling in that moment and it's like but it's important that i then express that to people and like i've I've tried to on some occasions be like hey guys i am just gonna be kind of bitchy because i'm tired i'm exhausted i'm drained and that's just another element of what you were pointing to, Rachel. Sometimes it's not established why they people are saying that or why they're sounding like that. It may not be anything that needs to be fixed, but it can always be cared for. Right. And there's also, I mean, a lot of good advice there in terms of pregame ritual, right? Of like yeah. checking in with each other. Like I I think our joke inspire of like, I need everybody's stress levels. And like every single week, everyone's like, well, personally, I'm at a 10, you know, like that, that yeah. joke is good, but it's also like actually legitimately a good TTRPG tool of being like, okay, obviously I, you know, I need your your stress levels in game but i also it's good to know right that like someone's exhausted or someone got bad news today or whatever because as a gm like you can kind of plan around or understand better what's going on in a game and so as a pre-game ritual like in a lot of DD sessions or similar types of games like yeah i think it's a great thing to like just kind of put in to the mix like hey let's just check in real quick if anyone has anything they you know and i feel like a lot of times players you know Frequently, we come forward anyway with each other, especially if you're playing with friends and just like, yeah, I'll be on at seven. But just so you know, like I've had a really long day, right? Like people do that anyway. Um, But if, you know, if you kind of make it part of the pregame experience, um, it can help too. That's that's something that I've had in some like theater spaces and experiences kind of as you're when you're entering a rehearsal space or performance space, just checking in with each other before like saying like what energy you're bringing into the space before we kind of try to transform that energy into something together. Um, I think that kind of check in is 
really valuable. Um, and both pre-game and post-game rituals can be important. I yeah. think something that um, Andy started doing with Dom and Dragons. I forget if did he get the idea from you, Galway? What are you proud of? That's from me. Yeah, that was me. You you started doing it with. Uh, yep. Maybe with tier stuff. I don't know. Maybe with. Yeah, tier stuff. I don't remember where in uh, tier I started it, but it yeah. was a thing. And to give credit, though, I'm not able to attribute it because I don't remember it. It's a thing that I saw on D&D Reddit of a DM was yeah. commenting on like, hey, this is a thing I do with my players. And actually would describe one of their players literally burst into tears the first time this was said to them because they'd never been encouraged to be proud of their role playing. Right. Yeah. So that, that yeah, that post game, ch- I really uh, enjoyed and appreciated that in Dom and Dragons, just having the opportunity to share. What did you, what were you proud of? What did you, what was a, a moment that you really liked for yourself or your character in this session? And I think having both pre and post game rituals like that can, uh, could be a part of establishing a group trust ideally right like again like i've never been the gm of a campaign but i've been a player of campaigns and i've been a part of helpful goat for a while and and um this the process of building trust between one another has been really important and and especially at the times when we've had to kind of when we've maybe at times when we've lost trust and we're like lost sight of the trust that we have in each other and have to come back and remind ourselves and each other like hey we all one care deeply about this story and the characters none of us are operating from a, a position of, of of not giving a shit so just remembering that and then and remembering also like and we've we've talked about this is like remembering that when communication does get bumpy or, or when moments of tension come up trying to remind ourselves in like really intentionally that we all care about each other and that we're all operating from a place of care and that we're not any kind of hurt that's happening none of us are doing it intentionally um that can kind of like practicing reminding yourself about that i think can help um kind of mitigate some of the narratives that we kind of start forming in our in our heads um absent actual communication with other with other people we kind of start making assumptions or as i do i start making assumptions and start forming narratives about what what that moment was and what that person was doing or trying to do and what they intended and ultimately like every time that i that i've had moments like that in a D context <clears throat> I feel really fortunate and grateful that we end up managing to just have a, a time where we check in and sift through, oh, that's what you were feeling. That's the energy you were bringing in. That's kind of the outside circumstances that you were experiencing that is so, so completely separate from what I, where my space, where my mind was, you know, and when we're when we can put all that out on the table, I it's this it, it's this really powerful it can it can um, really powerfully rebind trust. And granted, like like you know, I also want to acknowledge that you know, I mean, I don't. I guess I'd ask you all like, does every like I feel like this is really relevant for like a really long term 
campaign with a group that like plays for years and years and like these tensions come up sometimes like are there just short campaigns that just kind of happen and there are no fights or conflicts and there's no need for like interpersonal trust building <laughs> and like i don't know like i think they're really valuable important tools for have and i think playing games and playing D and tabletop role-playing games together specifically is a great context for practicing those tools but sometimes i feel i get kind of self-conscious i'm like maybe not every group goes through the shit that we do well what's funny you used to say that i dm'd a group um that was all new players um for a while and it was a great campaign and it was so much fun and it was all new players four players and i was a pretty new gm and that it went shorter because we had kind of an unfortunate like someone was leaving the country at the end of a certain period of time and we weren't going to be able to continue the campaign. So we knew that this was like a, we have like nine months to play as much of this campaign as we can. Um, but since it was all new players, and I think this is something, I also want to touch on something Lena said in chat because so important, Thank you. right? Yeah, I was about say, the idea I really of it. That. Like it's hard to do these things at first. It's also hard to role play at first, which is a different element of like communication at the table that I think yeah. we should talk about tonight because it's, not easy to come in as new players and like try a character voice right it's not easy to come in as a new player and know like oh i can just say whatever the fuck i want and like trust me as your gm to like contextualize that into D speak right because there's the feeling that you have to know like oh i'm gonna ask for an insight check i'm gonna do perception now i'm gonna investigate what are my skills it's like just tell me what you want to do and I'll tell you how to do it in D&D terms, right? But that aside, like that for itself, like there was no real interpersonal conflict at that table because everybody was so caught up in there. How do I even just do D&D conflict, right? Um, how do I even have like my character? But it was great because like everybody eventually, like it took a few sessions, but you know, we talked about it as a group and like that's again, talking about it as a group the magic happens there but like where instead of saying like oh like i was having interpersonal conflict with another player it was like them getting excited that their characters were having interpersonal conflict as characters right that yeah. like someone stole someone's hat and it was a big deal to that person and instead of just being like oh give me my hat back like that player like played it up and was mad and like someone else had to use calm emotions to like settle the group down right and like everybody talked about that moment after the fact even though it was just them sitting around the campfire someone playing a silly prank and someone else getting upset right it wasn't like them slaying the hydra that got them excited it was this like role play <laughs> moment but it really spoke to a different kind of vulnerability that developed at the table right because it was a willingness to share like that more like the acting the, the like scary awkward acting side of role play that like not everybody has an acting background and comes into it feeling like strong and ready to do that um yeah and then on top of that i just want to quickly say before i let other people talk too that like as someone who literally like does workshops and trainings and stuff in this stuff one of the first things i do and with uh nicole who i work with on these things a lot when we do workshops like this is we make everybody sit there and like just turn to someone else and like practice saying like i'm sorry and can you help me with that and no i don't want to do that for you because we don't think of like communication has skills, right? Including things like everyone's like, it's so hard to apologize. How do you find the right words? I'm like, that's a skill you can practice. 
you can literally practice the words and get the muscle memory in your mouth and your brain down for how do you apologize or how do you say no to somebody, right? But then well, don't do it too much like I do. <laughs> don't, no, no, no. <laughs> um, don't just apologize for everything, right, Rachel? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you tempted sorry. to say sorry right now? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, I just tease you, but like saying no to a request, right? Like, how do you say no to somebody? Like, that's a hard thing to do. How do you say in the moment, like, I'm uncomfortable practice, right? And like, not even like, oh, every time you feel it, you're on the spot to do it. But like, literally sit around the table and turn to each other and as awkward and stupid as you feel, just be like, no, I won't do that for you and see how it feels, right? Get used to that feeling of rejecting somebody because sometimes you have to do it and sometimes get used to the feeling of like, I'm really sorry that I fucked that up so bad, right? Like get used to feeling that discomfort in laboratory settings so that when you're at the table <laughs> and something comes up, you've got the words down, you've got the mindset down, you know, it's going to feel a little. And so it's just like the unknown is taken out of it in so many ways, makes it so much easier. Yeah, that's a good point. No, that's a good point. And I think it's, you know, you pointed out how hard it can be to say no. And I very much struggle with that, as I'm sure a lot of people do. But like, uh, I struggle with it. And uh, like, and my friends know about this. They know that I like have this thing where I very much want to be everything to everyone. And I want to please everybody all the time. Well, I'm also still an asshole. You know, it's a balance. But like, it's there was a time you know it's a uh be everybody's friend be everybody's asshole wait no that's not <laughs> um, that's Jim friend <laughs> um but uh i the, the i was doing something with a friend i i think they were hosting a, like a friendsgiving at their house and i was doing all of the big cooking turkey and this and that and all the stuff and he sent me a message like, hey, we forgot this thing. It was on like the day we were going to be doing it. He's like, hey, we forgot this thing. Would you be able to go and pick up this and this from the market and bring it here or that? And like, I like anxietyed over it before I responded. It was just like, you know, no, I can't. I have all these things to do with this or that. I'm really sorry. And this and his response was literally just, hey. I really appreciate you saying no when you couldn't do it because I know that that's hard and it's not a big deal and we'll get it taken care of. And I appreciate that you felt comfortable to tell me no. And like, that was just such a like, what? Like, you know, like to have somebody else notice that, like, I think like not to always do it, you know, there's again, balance, but it's like, can be really helpful to like notice when something is a struggle and be like, Oh, I could tell that was, you know, that was hard for you. And I'm glad that you stood up for yourself, you know? Well, and making it, it's just part of being a good friend is recognizing that when a friend establishes a boundary, that's not because they hate you or they want you out of their life. It's because they need that boundary there for personal reasons and being like, yo, I love that boundary you just set. Like, am I sad that we can't hang out today? Maybe. But do I love the fact that you trust me enough to say like, no, I can't do that and establish that boundary? Yes. That's exciting yeah. to me as a friend and as a GM and as a fellow player, right? Like boundaries are worth celebrating, not seeing as like these things that separate us. It's what makes us able to be vulnerable with each other. I was gonna say, and that's, and that's such a huge thing, I think, for also the point that Lena had made, that vulnerability is fucking hard and feels really awkward. And the thing to almost answer a question I could feel potentially coming up in chat or from someone saying that, like, well, how could I support someone doing that? Exactly that. In... <laughs> 
if ever there was a place for enthusiastic consent slash enthusiasm, <laughs> be enthusiastic when someone is being vulnerable. Be enthusiastic when someone is, in, is expressing themselves. Even if, to our points earlier, they're stumbling while they're doing it. Even if it's not coming out exactly right. Even if they, you know, spelled it thunk, not think, in the process of going through it. I don't know what that would actually... Well, that would make it a you statement. You, it you works. statements. Yeah, but... <laughs> But even if they even if they screw that up, even if there are mistakes, be enthusiastic because these are people who are trying to express a relationship with and support that and be like, okay, cool. How can we think about this? How can I help? Awesome. I'm so glad you came forward with this. I'm so glad that you discussed this. Um, And again, just bringing sort of into a a tabletop context, that is one of the things that I try to do really, really hard because... um, I know a lot of amazing people who unfortunately have health issues and trying to every time one of them says to me, I'm sorry, I can't make a game. I feel like crap, but you know, and like, I hear this entire apology that is built out of people being mad at them out of people being like, Oh, you don't care about me. But I'm like, I know that there is nothing in the world you would rather be except not feeling like crap right now. Thank you so much for telling me, for not pushing yourself. You feeling better is the most important thing. Let's just keep going. And, like, even in those contexts, it's like, that's so important to catch those, the people who are, you know, daring to sort of go off that ledge. Because it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard, especially for anyone with, like, an invisible medical condition. Diabetic. It's not, it's by no means the most severe of them, but, like, I have days where my blood sugars have been up and down and I feel like crap. And I've got a lot of internalized shame about, I, I don't have a cold, so I'm supposed to show up. And it's like, no, I feel like shit. <laughs> I, I love you guys. I don't want to play TNT. I feel yeah. like shit. My, my best friend always says like, like a mental health day kind of thing, right? She's mm-hmm. like, if, if you would not get mad at somebody for not show, for not showing up because they have the flu, like you can then like just apply the same feeling of logic to not getting mad at someone because they can't show up because their depression is bad today. Right. Yeah. Don't get mad. at like the same type because it's so much easier with things like depression or anxiety because you're like, well, why can't you just right? Why can't you just show up? It would help you if you just showed up. I don't like, know. You why can't say you just breathe water? You wouldn't say that to somebody with food poisoning, right? And those things can come up on the spur of the moment too. And like, that's the kind of like, like you can be sad and disappointed that like a game gets canceled last minute without projecting that sadness and disappointment onto the person who needs to cancel, right? You can just accept the fact that that's how you're feeling and let them feel how they're feeling too. And that's, you know, it's just, I don't know. Um, can I, I feel add like... to what you just said? Sorry, Galway. No, 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 no. Uh, because uh, Elise and I have talked about this before, too. Um, and uh, sorry, Rain, I was distracted by the tree outside for some reason. Um, <laughs> for what reason? Is it moving? None. It's just you know, a tree. You, no, no, you know my reason. <laughs> I love, I have this joke. Hey, I have ADHD, which I talk about all the fucking time. I'm sorry. But I have a joke, like, ever since getting the diagnosis that I'm just like, I did that because I have ADHD. Like, I just label everything. And it's just a joke. <laughs> now for me of like every everything yeah but it's fair um but like there was a situation where i had a friend who like something changed and i was sad like plans were canceled suddenly and i was sad and they felt bad that i was sad but 
like I wasn't mad at them, you know, and I like they were trying to fix it and trying to be like, oh, well, I didn't mean it or oh, this came up. But it's like, listen, you can't control that somebody else feels sad about something happening. I'm not mad at you, but I'm also not going to change my feelings to make you feel better. Like, yeah. it's okay sometimes that things happen that that make people not feel good and they're not mad at you and you can't fix it. And that's also okay. Like, just to be able to accept that, like, yeah, this thing that, that happened made you sad and that's all right. Yes. You know, it doesn't mean I'm mad at you. It doesn't mean that I'm holding it against you. But, like, it's okay for me to feel the feeling that I have and it's not your fault, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just need someone to witness it, right? Yeah. Just witness that I felt sad and like mm -hmm. we can move on, right? Exactly. Yeah. I also do love that TTRPGs in general are just such a like gateway to talking about all of these things, which I think speaks to Adam's point earlier of like we should have a session of just like role play in real life, how they collide, because yeah. we're basically just in like, how do you be a good friend <laughs> at this point? <laughs> and also, and how do you be a healthier human being for yourself? Like, honestly, a lot of this is I'm like, hey. Being able to do self-disclosure, knowing realistic expectations of how people should support you and being able to say, no, that's shitty. Because, like, just to your point, Rachel, one of the weirdest therapeutic statements that I had to sort of wrap my right around, you deserve as a human being to feel shitty feelings. Not you deserve to have to suffer through shitty feelings, but you deserve to get to have them. And you shouldn't have to clamp them down for someone else's convenience or for someone else like, oh, shit, I made you feel something shitty. Please be better so I don't have to deal with my own guilt of that. And it's like, <laughs> fuck you. I, I get to be sad about that. And and that's really hard for a lot of people. And a lot of people would be way better off if they could deal with like, yeah, I'm sad about that. It's one of the reasons just going into what what we were talking about and to a specific example, like any of my friends who have issues where they can't make it, I I always try to be like love you i absolutely like would have loved to have had you here i 100 percent get it and i'm so glad that you're taking care of yourself because i also don't want it to be like yeah okay that's fine go take care of yourself I'm like no because also like, we've highlighted people with mental health issues that can feel alienated as fuck it's like oh that pretty quickly leads to the oh no one no one cares if i actually well uh, i'm like yeah no I, I i love you i wish you were here with us at the table i wish we could play the game i'm so glad you're taking care of yourself go do that and it doesn't and for me that that kind of that script we spoke to ritualize it you know get it set the script applies to whether it's something with physical health or mental because they're the same it's just like yeah i'm glad you're taking care of yourself i'm sorry you're having to go through that wish you were here but we'll get it next week a week yeah. after that next month we'll miss you this week but i can't wait to see you next week yeah. right like just affirming yeah. that their friendship matters still i think going off of something you just said go away that you know that it it is hard for people to kind of have that knowledge or awareness that like, it's okay to feel it's okay for me to feel bad things, not just okay, but like I'm, I deserve to be allowed to feel those things. Um, it's worth noting that like the reason that is so hard for all of us is because we walk around in a world that has a lot of just unspoken, often unspoken rules about communication that are that really don't need to be <laughs> rules right it's part of that is part of my kind of dialogic training um is is kind of unlearning these rules that are like 
oh, I can't say this to that person because they might get hurt. Um, and while you know, there is a part of me that will always kind of be invested in best communication practices in terms of like I don't want to I don't want to make hurt any worse than it needs to be and as much as possible I want I want this to be productive like I think that, that is a that's what communication is but at the same time like it's we 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 limit ourselves when we when we carry around these assumptions that like oh I can't say that thing or I can't broach that thing or I can't feel that thing and if I do it's bad or if they feel that thing then that's bad like these are these are rules that we that we are kind of that we learn growing up in society and and so it takes it takes a lot of effort to unlearn them and it you know and it's not it's not easy which is why I, I do think that um you know when it comes to TTRPGs like it's it's really helpful and useful for there to be somebody ideally the GM but somebody who can kind of facilitate and kind of model that kind of communication and some of those principles of like look we're going to be honest and we're going to be we're going to be honest because we care and that we care about the relationships we form with each other we care about the dynamic that we're that we're co-constructing in this gaming space like that's where it's coming from it's not it, you know and if anybody here can't commit to that that it's like you know that we're doing this out of care for each other if any if anybody here doesn't genuinely want to like build a positive beautiful fun space and build positive fun beautiful connections with everybody else here then please share that now because we have a problem right yeah. we need to be on the same page but 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 and it but it's uncomfortable like yeah lena said in the chat like it is awkward kind of doing this yeah. i two semesters i i kind of co-facilitated um a, a like a, 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 a an interpersonal communication human relations seminar for undergraduate students that was built entirely on look we're not going to talk about anything other than this <laughs> these relationships our perceptions of each other what we want uh, out of relationships with each other we're not going to talk about what's outside of this room we're not going to talk about the past or the future it's just here and now and it is the most amazingly awkward thing to see like like students kind of come to terms with that because they they will fight claw and nail to like uh no i want to talk about what happened today like nope we're not talking about that we're talking about right now or like i want to talk about kind of ideas about community and humanity nope we're not talking about that right now like how do you view me and you can and you can view me like in a you know a negative way but if the we person kind of... making me talk about how I feel about you. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. But so, like, but, um, so I think that that, but those experiences, like, often, like, they need to be facilitated. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that, like, it's worth kind of having some patience for the fact that not everybody is going to be ready and willing and right away kind of comfortable diving into that kind of communication. For some people, being invited to communicate that way and being invited to, to think about communication and emotions that way might in itself be like, might, might cause a lot of <laughs> discomfort for them and it might trigger something in them. And, and that's part of the game, right? Not the Dungeons and Dragons game, but the game of, of human life. And 
so it's 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 endlessly complicated but um you know it's 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 it has to be i, I think it has to be an invitation into a into a space and an ongoing kind of process of creating space it's not going to be perfect right away people aren't going to be perfect at it right away yeah. we're never going to be perfect at it but um modeling it facilitating it and being really explicit about it i've really benefited from um playing games with with lena and having moments where she's kind of stepped in and kind of valued the, like just being clear direct and explicit because like i said like sometimes i i lean more towards like i i i as much as I intellectually like value conflict and confrontation, I get it. This is important. My like my inner child and my shit that I am carrying around from my childhood just makes it that like, uh, uh, I don't want anybody to be upset. So anything I can say and however I can say it to kind of reduce that, I'm going to do it. But sometimes I need to be pushed back on that, and and it's 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 good for me. Also modeling. So, quick check-in behavior normally we would step away for about five minutes because we're about the midpoint are we cool with just sort of going through because we've got momentum or do we want to step away i'm good with either i don't need a break at the moment but would happily if I, i'm going to stand up to turn on the ceiling fan but i can still hear and talk so okay. I was, yeah. um yeah I'm good. I'm, good. I'm good to keep going so yep. so so a question also from Lena in the chat or series of questions, how can players also lead these things when they're not necessarily in a leadership role? Do you need to be in a leadership role? Can you just step up and lead as a player? What if your GM isn't on the same page? Um, I'm going to take sort of a cut at that uh, generally. And then, but, uh, but I absolutely want this to be a discussion. Um, I, I would say that the first three of those, I would say that, yes, there are absolutely ways that you can lead that. You can present resources. Um, you can present things like Guide to Consent in Gaming. You can consent. Uh, Lena has also, uh, probably 45 minutes ago in chat, I just wanted to point out, um, had a really excellent suggestion around a, either a yellow card, red card system, which is we need to pause, red card, yellow card, we need to pause, red card, we need to stop. I also like the fact that my, like, Eight years of soccer refereeing came out as I actually went into the <laughs> delivering a card hand position. Um, there's also the X card system, which is designed to you can just sort of slide your DM a, a token. They're often meant to be designed to be anonymous that way of I need this topic to die. This needs to happen. There's also an app that's being developed for that where all all the parties can be on it, and basically one device is the DM or GMs, and the others are just player devices, and you can hit the button, and the DM sees someone needs to stop, and here's who it is so that you can talk to them, but no one else has to know anything. Those are great, great, great tools, and I just wanted to highlight that Lena had been talking about those. Those are excellent tools, and one division of this is there's tools to sort of set yourself up and try to get a framework. And then there's tools for fixing or stopping when bad things are starting to happen. And those card systems, X cards, et cetera, those fall brilliantly and very efficiently in that category. The thing that I really wanted to highlight, sorry, out of those four questions, yes, absolutely, players can suggest resources, players should suggest resources, and players should model this and be enthusiastic and be like, great, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Um, what if your GM isn't on the same page? That's a harder one. Um, That's also like, I mean, not to be like, then find a better GM, but like, that's but a kinda? big part. It's but, a big yeah. part. Like we've talked so much about trust and vulnerability yeah. and communication. And if your GM like 
doesn't give a fuck about their players communicating or feeling comfortable, then like, you know what? Kick your GM out. You take over as GM and do a way better job. <laughs> yeah. Or so, well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And, and that's... Go, go, sorry, Ed. Well, I was going to say, like, there might, I, you know, there might be a distinction between the GM not being on the same page in terms of maybe they're not there yet. Like, they're not just aware of that level of things, right? And then, like, not being on the same page is like, oh, I don't care about that. Yeah. Right? I, I was... like, yeah, like let let's dis- let's distinguish between maybe a DM who or GM who hasn't Fire. thought about this stuff or hasn't heard about these tools or we've just discussed this is a journey, right? And it's an uncomfortable, right. I I- shitty feeling journey. Or are they one of the D and D Twitter douche bros who's like, nah, my players, uh, no, I'm gonna be like killing kids and assaulting players left and right, and ain't nobody can tell me otherwise that they can go home. I've always responded to that on Twitter directly as myself. I got blocked by people by doing this by being like good you sending that player home is like the most constructive thing you have fucking offered everything else you have said is hot garbage sending that player home (laughs) is a humanitarian act like jesus and so that i think would be that line is this that they're they've never experienced this especially are they coming from a place of privilege are they coming from a place where they've never had to think about this and then i would still say tread carefully because there needs to be as we're pointing out, that trust. And if you can't trust them to handle these issues well, that could be bad. But that's much more a negotiated conversation where I'd say, you know, again, to your sort of think, what is their intent here? Why are they Why are they not on this page? Is this they haven't developed that? Or are they being assholes? If they're assholes, find a different game. Well, I would say, like, Lena just specifically at, like said, it's not always as simple as finding a better GM. Yeah. Sometimes there's established friend groups, uh, and one of your friends is apparently a shit about communication. Like, maybe this isn't, like, I've worked really hard on cultivating friend groups and communication because I struggled with it a shit ton growing up. So, like, this is very important to me. Like, you shouldn't continue to be friends with somebody who is exhausting to be friends with. Like if you have tried to build communication and build all these kinds of things, like if like you have to then kind of, and maybe I'm out of line here, but you have to then kind of weigh the benefits of continuing along with that. Because if it's somebody who's an established friend group or this or that, and like nobody is willing to, to care like they're not willing to care about communication or your feelings or anything like that are they like that to me brings up the question are they even really a friend if you can't even like discuss any of those things or even think about that and maybe i'm overreacting some but like this is super important to me as like a friend a friend group thing yeah I, i think that if you're in an established friend group like it can be more awkward to bring things up sometimes because you're like i really don't want to like step on feelings and then lose a whole group of friends and I've then i've literally like... gone to elise to talk to her about <laughs> yeah, this when i struggled with it so been like <laughs> yeah. what should i do with this friend in my dnt group and she was right. helpful so oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> well like i i'm like i think that it's it's always more complicated right but there are times right like we can kind of again put like in a in one category of like there are toxic friendships where like if you really can't talk to that person about like we need better communication practices at the table because sometimes I feel really like if that goes that badly that is that that table isn't good right like red flag but like 
Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a red flag. That's a huge red flag as a friend and as a D&D player, like as someone at that table. But like, hopefully you can go to that person, right? And, and help them build, like say like, hey, something I've been noticing is that I'm having a really hard time at the table, like bringing up when I'm feeling uncomfortable with the topic. Could we look into some of these strategies and things? And like, if that person's receptive to building stuff, right, then like you work with them. And like, yeah, if you are more familiar as a player than as the GM, I think the best way to start that conversation is in private, away from the table, because there's in communication theory and probably in a lot of other like social theory kind of things is like face threats, right? The idea that like we have Mm -hmm. face and and our face is that we want people to like us. That's positive face, right? We want people to like us. We want to be seen as likable, friendly, good friends, whatever. And when people bring up things that challenge that, we get defensive. And that's what Rachel has been talking about, right? So face threats. And it is face threatening when a player comes to you as a GM and says something isn't working at your table, right? And so how do you mitigate face threat? And that's take it in a private conversation, face-to-face, do some upfront work of saying like, hey, I know this is kind of awkward and it's something that I've been really thinking about and it's been bothering me. And then frame it from your experience, all the things we've kind of been talking about, right? And if that person is then receptive to like, oh my God, I didn't realize that was a problem, but you're totally right. I would hate for you to be uncomfortable at the table. Let me learn more about this. Like, let's put practices. Do you have any suggestions? Then you know that you can build on that relationship and it's not this kind of toxic thing that you just have to toss to the side. And as hard as it is, as a GM and as a player, I think it's critically important to know to, when to walk away from a table or when to ask someone to walk away from a table because that fucking sucks to do. But I don't know that like uh, like nothing is less fun. And like I think like when when everybody starts canceling every week kind of thing is when you're like, maybe there's a problem and I should ask people. Right. Because like sometimes it is just like that one person, they bring the mood down every time. Right. And like as a GM, as much as it sucks to do, like that needs to be addressed or your players will stop playing and you won't have a group. Right. And so I don't know. I've I think straight that- up, I've straight up left a table before. I once had a GM friend who snapped at me over something and it was a really heated moment. And he snapped at me, not my character, but like personally me in a really mean and rude way. And I just I couldn't at that moment deal with it. And I got up and I was like, I'm not going to be talked to you like this. And I left and yep. we discussed it later and like worked through those things. But like, you don't have to stay there and deal with things. Like nobody was mad at me. You know, nobody was like, you ruined everything. They were like, yeah, you did what you had to do. And I've also not gone back to a table. There's, there is a friend that we have here that I will never again play D and D with. I will hang out with him in group settings and be fine with that, but I will never do something vulnerable or this like that. And I've just learned that. And that's also okay. And to expand really uh, just on what Elise said, I had a friend and I talked with Elise about this extensively when I was going through it because I kind of was unsure about how to, you know, how to go about it. But I had a friend that I was going to be starting another campaign with. And the first time we played together, it didn't go super well. Like she kind of treated my character really mean, I thought. Like there was a lot of things where I just felt really uncomfortable. And there was all these things I was very worried about. And she was very much seemingly like, I want things to go my way. If they don't, I'm upset or this or that. And I was very nervous about starting a campaign with her again. And like the week before we were going to start one, I just decided, like I felt, and this is also okay about feeling vulnerable. I didn't feel like I could just go and talk to her. It felt like 
too much, too overwhelming, but I also didn't feel like I could ignore it. So I wrote her a letter. I wrote her a handwritten letter that I, you know, dropped off at her apartment. And then we had a conversation afterwards. And that way I was able to get out my thoughts in a way where I felt like I was able to finish everything I needed to say. She could process it and then we could talk together. And her response was literally, I had no fucking idea that you were feeling this way. And I am so glad that you brought it up to me because I just, I had no idea. So how can we work through this campaign that we're going to be doing? What can we do to make sure that this isn't happening? And we've been playing this campaign since January. And she's like, we've had no issues. I don't feel any of those same things. So like, it's also okay if you're not feeling good, you can put things in writing too. Like you don't have to always go and confront somebody in person. It can be establishing it first with writing and then having a discussion, you know? Yeah. And that's certainly, and I think that the other thing, this is pivoting to a very sort of different aspect of this question of the, maybe you should find a better GM. Sometimes it can be hard because there aren't necessarily that many tables in your locale. Like that was always a traditional problem. I encourage you to find on D&D Twitter some of the communities where I have not just random D&D Twitter. Do not just go to random D&D Twitter for a game. It could be bad. It could be real bad. But find people who talk about this stuff. Find people who sit there and scream at the trolls who posted Lots of hate speech on Monty Cook games. They probably know online games. It is it is easier than ever to get into an online game of D&D. And while, yes, it has differences, we've actually been talking about some of them. I would much rather someone found a better game that was better for who they are as a person and did less harm then try to make the best out of a bad um i you know i don't even i don't even think this is a plug join our discord it is a plug i we can find you games i mean between this all four of us have dm'd games at one point or another we will we know other people who do I would rather you went and found someone who you can be like, hey, I've had these specific problems. Be like, you know, you can come to me. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Let me find you a DM who will care about that shit. Maybe they're not your friend. Maybe you don't know them right now. But I am fortunate enough to know good people who are not going to subject you to fucking trauma because they had an encounter written. Um, and like this, this gets me visibly heated. It pisses me off. This is me off that so many people are so shitty in a game that builds so much in games that build so much. Can I go off on that? Because as a game <laughs> studies person, like this is this is an like a problem that's endemic to gamers, mm -hmm. right? Of any type, TP TTRPGs, video games, yeah. whatever, even board games, right? There's this toxic culture around, but the game has a system that is that is God, right? The game, the system of the game itself is the most important thing and nothing else is above that. And that mentality is one that comes from a privileged position of knowing that your identity as a straight, cis, white, 
heterosexual dude, whatever man, right, gets to enjoy those games and not have to worry about the sexist pictures in the book, right? And not have to worry about the fact that you're never going to see a person of your gender represented because non-binary people don't exist in this world. Never going to have to worry about the person who writes, you know, the, like, not fuck but the other f word on the wall right or puts like <laughs> makes a custom spray that they mod into call of duty that has like a man pulling a woman's hair that says dames don't belong in cod right like these things exist uh... in the gaming world because people don't understand what yeah. what that type of oppression is and when those games are built by people who have that type of privilege. They bake that kind of oppression into the game systems. And then people who don't feel upset by that because they're not personally oppressed, they're like, but the game is God. Like, but there are no queers in Star Wars, right? How dare you let <laughs> us have homosexual relationships in the in um the old republic? That was a whole thing, right? Like people got so sure mad. And <laughs> and it's like the people also don't go to the bathroom in Star Wars, but like, are we saying that people don't pee? No, it's morally wrong, Wars? Elise. It's morally wrong. <laughs> yeah, it would be like, in the game if it was right. One romantic relationship in the original Star Wars, and it's Han and Leia, and like nobody Which else. Is creepy. And so we're like, oh, okay. Well, then, as far as we know, the only two people, by your logic, in the world who have ever been in love are Han and Leia. End of list, right? Like, it's just utterly stupid. But people want to protect those things because they want to protect privilege. And there's the old saying when you're used to, right, privilege, like equality feels like oppression. And it's like, you've got to get used to that. And that's, yeah, okay. Uh, but anyway, game studies, just saying what you're talking about, Galway, is like a bigger problem yeah. with gamer culture in general because of the way that bias and oppression are built into game systems and people don't recognize it due to their own positions of privilege. Thank say, you for coming and, to my TED Talk. You can literally hire me to do this stuff. And for, one, that seems like that, that would be a great purchase. Um, two, I come out of a background of game studies and social theory. So yeah, I get all that. And three, that's part of why I get so pissed because people who look like me, people who have the identities that I do need to get more pissed about this because, because, because it's they, exhausting to be the person who always gets pissed because it's my identity on the line. And like, that's coming from yeah, a pretty privileged position but, myself. But, but that is, and exactly that's the thing is like, no, 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 no. Diffuse all of it call all of it yell at people about all of it tell them fuck off uh great when, uh, you know you have these opinions they're garbage also i never want to see you at any of my tables yep it's just like you can you can go take your shitty opinions there are so many tables out there where like gross men are yeah. running tables for gross men and they are like oh well, we're inclusive we just can't find women who want to play no you can't find women who want to play with you because you're an asshole <laughs> like that's different <laughs> yeah no and it's like yes I, I, I also I'm just going to end this because like any not not end this this topic but just like anything I can say that goes to it's really not that hard to have more inclusivity in your NPCs, in your games. I don't know. I mean, it's not actually that hard with players, but in the way that you write things, it's like, hey, spend half an hour educating yourself and you can get some pretty good inclusivity in it. Some of my favorite NPCs that, in fact, people didn't come across, like one that they explicitly didn't come across who was one of my favorite NPCs in Tear Beyond the Doors was non-binary. 
And I enjoyed getting to have a character that that was an important part of their identity and it wasn't weird to the world around them. And it's like, that was cool. I enjoyed that aspect of getting to build this NPC. They managed to yeet themselves right by them, but it's fine. It's it's <laughs> well, a thing that happens. <laughs> that's a great point, though, about like the difference between having a diverse world and an inclusive world, right? That's why when people use these buzzwords, we say diversity and inclusion because right. diversity, like having black people in your campaign setting, uh, is not the same as building an inclusive environment for black players at your yeah. table. Right. And uh, and and having, you know, the existence of queer people in your story is not the same as building an inclusive environment at your table for queer players. And like those that idea of like diversity and inclusion, like, I mean, those are buzzwords and they can be overused and misused by corporations and whatever. But for the value that they bring, it's in that and right, that togetherness of you have to have both diverse settings and campaigns and also inclusive tables and environments in both in your story like your story has to have an inclusive mm -hmm. world and at your table and that's that's um that's hard right and especially like as you know uh like i'm white and like i'm probably like you know like we all need to be doing things right now especially to be like dealing with racial injustice and one thing that came up that was uh that came to mind was like the fact that wizards of the coast is finally finally now after years and years and years of critique about this in this moment of reckoning that we are now facing in america wizards of the coast is finally dealing with the fact that like orcs have always been a stand-in in popular in fantasy for black people and it's a problem it's a fucking problem right and like the fact that like races are now being decoupled from culture in wizards of the coast because people are like this is racism right it's like these are the important <laughs> things and like you can do that at your table see episodes one whether or two not and... wizards of coast yeah wizards of the coast ever make it canonical because it doesn't fucking matter it's your table it's, it's your, your yeah world. you get to you get to decide and you can decide every single gm and player can decide this table is going to not pick up those themes of racism I, and in fact is going to like actively work against them yeah i i would i would fucking rather play at a table that strictly interprets the rules for encumbrance and throws the entire <laughs> racial alignment thing into the sun <laughs> than vice versa. And let me Did point you out, get your exact change for those coppers? Because Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I would rather go to a table that fucking oh, micromanages God. your inventory and is like, well, let's roll to see how many arrows you recover your from this. And technically only has three square feet of Yeah, <laughs> right. Of but, space so even though you can talk about weight, you actually have to think about the space that it takes up as well. Yeah, no, and that's and that's but that's absolutely I was I was joking, I'm like see episodes one, <laughs> yeah, two, yeah. four, and five of Goat's Eye View, because I fucking have railed against that. Because it's just strange as a sociologist, it bothers me. Because it's racist as fuck. And it's also just wrong beyond even just the it's like you you're using two words and you even in some of your writing indicated you know what these words mean and how they're different and then you fucked it all up anyway so it's and worse there's it's like it's actually like so much more constraining in terms of like the imagination and creativity that's possible within these worlds to like stick to these strict like oh halflings are generally good aligned you know oh okay halflings are generally short with... that's about it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but, um, j just to jump back to something that you had said before in part of this, um, 
<laughs> and part of my my TED talk exactly. high horse speech. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you can stay on your high horse. You belong there. It's fine. Aw, thanks. Um, <laughs> um, it's also really important as a player or as a GM or anything like that, that when somebody tells you that something that has happened in the story or something that you said bothers them, that like you don't get to tell them it doesn't. You know, like just because so like think about it, you know, like at least said, we're pretty privileged. We're still women, so there are still things that that we deal with based on that. And like there are certain things where like I uh I was doing something with a friend and this thing came up that to me was just and it was reading a book and it was from the perspective of a man and uh the what he did bothered me so much and how it affected the woman he was interacting with but who i was with was just like oh yeah i see what they're doing and i was just like nope we're gonna pause because i need to explain to you right now why this sucks and why i am so annoyed at it and I, but, and like, I went into this whole conversation and I was willing to be vulnerable and angry and about that and talk about it. But like, I went into this whole discussion about how it shows that like men don't respect women and their choices or their hard work or their, like all of these things it was showing. And like afterwards he was like, yeah, I literally got none of that from it because to me it was just like, oh yeah, he's just doing this thing and he was being kind of a dick, but like taking the time, if you ha if you can to like explain why this is problematic, you can really help certain privileged people to understand things that they never come across themselves, you know? And just as like a like a an addition to that, like there's there's obvious difference between expecting someone in a non-privileged position to do that work labor and being willing to volunteer yourself to do that labor, right? Like yeah. I know yeah. And so that's that's just like kind of a side like important Absolutely, caveat to what yeah. you were saying as like if you're willing to do that labor and like I often am because like when do I not want to talk about these things? Have you looked mm -hmm. at like listened to one thing I've said tonight? Have you heard but, the like, TED talks? Have, yeah. But like but for example like I like was in a Zoom call with like a bunch of my family like extended family like uncles and shit and like when racist stuff came up then i could not like my anxiety was so through the roof and i was like that was the moment when i needed someone like my dad to be my ally right, right. that's the moment when i needed someone like my male cousin to step in and say like hey you're like this is right but, like there are times and places and situations where those things are too much and times and situations where those things are exactly what Rachel's saying, like these perfect moments to kind of like expand and help people understand. And like, it's, it's, you know, it's part of like the, the problem, not the problem, the work of being an ally is accepting that that shit is complicated and you're going to fuck it up. And the sooner, like we all kind of agree and like get past, get over ourselves and like, just like, yep, I'm going to make that mistake. I'm going to overstep sometimes. I'm not going to step in other times. And I'm going to have to deal with the fact that like I let someone down or I didn't like use my voice when I wish that I had like in retrospect, like that's just part of being an ally. And like that's and, and the burden, right? That's the burden shifting from less privileged people onto your own shoulders, right? That's the burden of that work. And like that is, if that's what you want, if you want to be an ally, then that's what you're aiming for, right? Is holding that burden on your own shoulders instead of putting it on theirs. Uh, and so anyway, and, again, well, my and, fucking TED Talks, y'all. And, and, and to go off of something that, that, that actually Lena helped educate me to, 
in terms of allyship. And that the emotions of that burden are not the responsibility of the person in the less privileged position to then relieve. No, no, no. They sit with you. And you sit quietly and you mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. And you do the work inside yourself. And you do not fucking put that on anybody else right then. Yep. One of my and- favorite... Sorry, just really quick. One of my favorite like feminist things that like I like media that I consume started with this woman being like, all right, um, men in the room, I'm going to talk to you right now. And I'm going to say that for the rest of this talk, I'm not talking to you. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to ball that up and stuff it in your stomach and never talk about it because that's what women do 90% of the time. And then she just <laughs> never said anything to the men in the room again. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, then- I was telling you, I listened, I listen to, I've started listening to this podcast recently that I really fucking love. And it's two black queer journalists talking about difficult subjects. And, you know, they had people writing in, like, you know, I really like the show. I don't really know if you're making it for white people or not, but I like it for this reason. And they were like, you know what? We're not fucking making it. We're for white people. We're glad you're here. We're happy you're listening and we want you to listen because these things are important, but we're not making this for you. And that's okay because most fucking stuff that's out there is not made for us, you know? So like, it's okay for you to consume something that's not directed at you. It's okay. Like so many other people, this is getting way off topic. And I know now we're talking so about things. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have passion. Me too. Me too. It's okay. And I like that. <laughs> I'd rather talk about that because, again, this all touches on this space. These are conversations that should be happening. Yeah, and well, and just to tie it in is like what we've said multiple times, right? And Adam brought up at the beginning is that role play, right? We I've joked many times, like watching Critical Role and like playing characters myself, like, um, oh, c- character trauma, character trauma. Oops, my trauma, right? Like, we do that all the time with role play. And like, if you watch live action, like really good live, like live play tables, like you can watch characters or like players at the table do that sometimes, right? Like you're watching, you're like, I know that I'm like psychologizing a person right now. And that has its own set of problems. But like, that looked like that person was upset, not their character was upset, right? The level, and like, that's, you know, the the kind of joke that I've put on it is like, oops, my trauma, right? Like you just pull back the the layers a little bit. And when, you know, I'm talking about my character's trauma, like usually 90% of the time, like somewhere deep down underneath that is like hidden gem of my own. Um, And I feel like a lot of us do that in role-playing games, whether we mean to or not, is we design characters who ultimately have, questions about life that are similar to our questions about life and experiences that may be exaggerated forms of what we've gone through or because it's, I mean, we're living in fantasy worlds where you can cast thaumaturgy to make your eyes glow, right? And so like exaggerated forms oftentimes um, of childhood traumas or of, you know, experiences that you had as an adult that were like lasting with you and you work those out at the table sometimes and... That's why I think this shit that we've been talking about matters is because as a GM or as a fellow player, sometimes you have to look at your fellow players and think, I don't know this for a fact, but it's very possible that is Elise trauma and not minnow trauma happening right now. And like just and like being aware of things like, you know, oh, Elise is a queer person and she's sitting at this table playing a queer character like when we treat queer people a certain way in this game, we're treating her a certain way in this game, etc. Right. And like, there's just, I don't know. Yeah. 
And like, I, I'm seeing Lena pointing out like that that's not always the case for everybody. And I think that's totally fair. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm going to very strictly segment away like those things. Right. And that's important to, to recognize that, like, you know, don't psychologize people too much. But I think that Lena's <laughs> but... also by and large agreeing with you that our, the characters we play are aspects of ourselves. I have played a growly little lizard man, the goodest tiefling. And a very slow-talking turtle man, and they've all had aspects of myself. They've all had aspects of stuff that I'm wrestling with. Sometimes it isn't even trauma. It's stuff I'm trying to work on. And, yeah, it comes through, and I, I, I also write. I cannot really imagine writing or portraying a character that I'm just like... Not that doesn't look like me in some way, but like every single part of your experience is entirely alien and unrelatable to me. I don't I don't know how I would do that. I know know why, like people would want authors to do that. Yeah, no. And I don't know. And that doesn't mean that you can't do. And and this is my own tangent. (laughs) That isn't an excuse to not have a diverse work. It is perfectly possible to find the elements of yourself within people who do not look like you, who do not talk like you, who are in some way different from you. It's not that fucking hard. If you're not doing it, it's like insurmountable. You probably haven't tried. Research really generally shows that people have no trouble relating to people of other genders or races or physical characteristics as themselves. So, like, I mean, obviously, like, some people are just assholes, but I'm saying, like, game companies (laughs) are like, we can't, we can't have a black main character because most of our players are white. And research is, like, time and time again, studies have shown that that's completely bunk and everybody is, you can empathize with a little dot that moves around a screen. You can (laughs) empathize with a black person or with an Asian person, like, it's not it has hard. to do with the, that, that podcast I was talking about too. They specifically talked on one of their episodes about Tyler Perry and how like his movies and his things are so successful and the majority of the audience that goes to see them are white. Like that means that they can connect with it and enjoy it and relate to it just like all like cis het white people have been able to for like movies and books and things since the dawn of time this last like three minutes has been directed at you producers in hollywood (laughs) (laughs) and owners of game companies and owners of game companies for sure yeah but and you know sorry i was about to take us onto an entirely different representational tangent of wizards of the coast one step forward one step back i will briefly drop it in here uh in their new upcoming thing they've released a new multi-part boss so that they have phases frost maiden they decided to name it i can't remember it's like the winter crone the brittle maiden and the frost womb those are the three aspects of femininity of course Mm-hmm. We're going to mm-hmm. just leave that and we can talk about that later. Maybe we'll do a whole representation and how to not be a shitty writer um, in TTRPGs a little bit later on. But I still remember because that announcement came literally the day after they did the press conference where they're like, hey, we're going to finally unfuck up race and this. And I'm like, but meanwhile, let us tell you about how linked motherhood is to the experience of women. I was like, Wizards of the Coast, could you? Did you not? no no woman proof this did they 
this is why None. diversity at high levels in all companies matters too, in terms yeah. of diverse and inclusive environments, not just in the media that you produce, but in yeah. the workspaces the that you create. Because yeah. if you have a diverse set of people, like multiple women, right? Multiple people of all sorts of races and whatever, people with disabilities, right? On high level executive positions, then like those conversations are constantly in the mix in ways that like, my blind spots as a person, you know, like as a white person, I'm going to do my best to try and expand my viewpoint, but I'm never going to catch everything. And that's part of it. And so that's why like lots of people and not putting it all on a single person of color, a single woman, right. Um, but lots and lots of people constantly having those conversations. It also develops your acumen as a person to then be able to do that without someone coaching you through it, right? Once, uh, you know, like once someone at Wizards of the Coast becomes aware of like this idea of motherhood being linked very problematically to femininity and womanhood, then like two years down the line when they're in a similar writing position, they can be like, oh wait, we shouldn't, you know, link those things because now they're, they've been ex exposed to that. I also think it's worth noting, and I do have one other topic I want to talk about with communication at the table before we get into this, but I love the fact that the fucking like, what is it, like, winter womb or whatever it is, is so problematic a term that no one bothers to notice that the second one is called the brittle maiden. I'm like, there's just a whole, like, goodie bag to unpack there, but we can't even get to it because you fucked up worse after Three the different comma. iterations of that cold bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was just like, like, I'm like, oh, wizards, I, you're not good at this sometimes. So we kind of, I'm just going to, for people's sake, um, because I did this table talking, how do you keep people communicating during the game, uh, memory and communication afterwards, and hard talks can be good talks too. We've been talking about all of these and we've been going through this very organically, which is what I wanted to do. Absolutely. So before anyone, Rachel, feels the urge to apologize. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing you. Um, no, I love this. And this is this was absolutely what I wanted to do. Um, but just two things that I wanted to talk on, touch on, one of which we already did. Um, foster communication after the game as well. Adam phrased it really nicely. One of the tools that I'd found is, and you, you saw it if you saw the finale of uh, Tear Beyond the Doors. I asked people to do it on stream. After every session, ask the players, what's one thing you were proud of? What's something you were proud of the way you went? What's something that you really like? How People should be proud of the way they play. And I think that this is one of the things that we get into. And as much as, for example, Matt Mercer pushes back on DMs don't have to DM like him, not just as like a quality standard, but an approach standard, because they shouldn't. He's not the only way to DM. He's well, perfect. He's not the perfect model. He's really, really damn good at it. He's a really good storyteller. His voices are amazing. He's a voice actor. Shocking. Um, but but that's one of the things that that also happens with players. You don't need to be good at voices. You don't need to be good at giving an eight-page backstory, blah, blah, blah. But I want to celebrate the fact that you showed up at the table. And I honestly, of all of the things that we would talk about, of all the things, that the list that I would give are some consent tool have some goddamn consent tool you may never need it like elise was saying it may never be a thing that comes up but if you do need it you will be glad that you have something after the game that encourages people to be proud of themselves to be proud of each other and to be proud of yourselves because we also talked about rituals that build these this trust i 
literally probably some of my favorite moments since I introduced that tool in Beyond the Doors. Cat's tail just cruised right across the camera. It was amazing. Jitty. Yeah. Um, have been players just sharing with each other the stuff they were proud about. Celebrating each other's play, celebrating each other's moments, each other's lines. I fucking love it. It's, it's why I want to do this. So I love getting to see that. And I love letting the players do that. I love everyone at the table. Like Tibby even mentioned in chat, like the first time we did it after Amberheart, she so appreciated everyone else jumping in and giving her stuff that like you like, it's like, I don't want it to just be my voice as the DM being like, here was good. Cause I'm not trying to steer your role playing. Weirdly, it's the opposite. I want you all to tell me what you're proud of so I can give you more chances to do that. I view that as my job as the um, So I would encourage people to implement something like that. And the last thing, and the thing that I wanted to talk about, because I'd love to hear people's different perspectives on these, is run a goddamn session zero. It doesn't actually have to be a session. It can be a 30-minute conversation. But the things that I would say, <laughs> Rachel plus cat butt. Um, those are the things Sorry. I would say. Rachel plus cat butt. Uh, the things that I would say you absolutely should have in it are... This is a moment to, if there needs to be anything done as a group with the informed consent, should happen here. You should 100 fucking percent talk about tone. Because even in a non-traumatic, not, you know, this is really awful for people way, I have been at tables where I didn't realize we weren't playing like epic high fantasy and I spun up my character as I typically would, which sort of falls into that epic high fantasy. And everybody else was playing a joke character does not feel good. Like, I, 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 I happen to just spin and improv my character. I'm like, okay, you need to be a joke now, buddy. And that was fine. I like playing at joke tables, too. That, like, that, that wasn't a problem. But it would have been a really shitty person, or a really, really shitty feeling if I hadn't been comfortable doing that. I would have felt really out of place. I would not have had fun that session. And that could have been solved with five minutes of communication of like, hey, guys, we're going to go really like loosey-goosey. It's a one-shot. Do you want to just do a sort of funny, humorous slapstick? Yeah, cool. Okay, let's do that. Like, okay, I would have written that from the beginning. And I would have been spared this moment of, oh, shit, I should not talk about any of my backstory until I mentally rewrite this. Um, <laughs> and that's, so that, so tone, the informed consent stuff, expectations around length, and any style stuff i would say those always constitute the core of my session zeros for example <laughs> back of kitty head <laughs> rachel face yeah, yeah. um i will i will always say to my players especially if i know i have new players at the table or players who haven't played with me not even like new players to a ttrpg just tell me what you want to do and i will tell you if you can do it and you probably can because you're probably going to ask me cool stuff so i'll probably let you do it and I'll tell you how you do it or what you need to roll. That's my job. That is, that is arguably the main job that I have as the DM is you present to me the actions you want to take. I present to you the mechanisms by which you. And you need to communicate that to people. Maybe you're not that DM. Maybe you want to have people who have memorized the player's handbook front to back. Sorry for you. If you do, you've limited your player pool. And you've missed out on some, some of the most amazing storytellers I've ever seen. Definitely do not have the player's handbook memorized front to back. But that's fine. But you need to fucking establish that. If you haven't said, hey, this is kind of what I want, and then you're pissed off when everyone's doing that, nah, they're not in the wrong, you are. 
Um, so I, I did want to talk about this this very powerful tool of a session zero. What do you all like to do? What do you like to do? And Adam, you'd also alluded to it a little bit. I'm not speak more. You know, not to do that, but but like. <laughs> We're here to have fun, right? And the moment it's not fun, we're going to get it back. To, we're going to fucking fix it so it's fun again. So those are the types of things like, you know, what what do you all generally do? Katie. <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> I'm just giving the people what they want. I'm sorry. Keep talking. I mean, I've never, I've never um, had the, well, I've, I mean, I guess I could have um, I had the opportunity to do. But so for me, session zeros for the three one shots I've run have, have been, um, Kind of one-on-one session zeros, mm-hmm. um, which isn't which which doesn't necessarily get at the idea of establishing group tone, but it does kind of give an opportunity for me to kind of communicate with each person about what kind of like I said, like what my mo is and what each individual, what each player kind of what their fears and expectations and hopes are for the game and. Um, but again, that's that's just such a very specific because because to some degree each of my each of the kind of games I've run have been have just been largely kind of experimental for me, and so um, it's just really important for me to kind of touch base with everybody. See and the be dog like, chasing her tail. Sorry. Is there a dog now too? She's chasing her tail. Yeah, I can see it. Right, going in circles back there. That's sorry. No, that's amazing. It's um, so rude, Elise. I can't believe you would do that. <laughs> Malcolm is very disappointed. Jeez, in you. Jesus Christ! She's still doing it. She's still doing it. <laughs> I forgot that that was a thing that actually happened in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. Rachel just like force Sometimes chokes her cat. She chases her tail so hard she like does somersaults. <laughs> my my kitten my kitten Calcifer will chase his tail through the blinds on our sliding oh, glass door because good. then it's behind him and he was like, I can fucking stalk this thing. I'm like, it's your tail, dude. It's your, it's your tail. Um, I'm so be- sorry. We got so far off base though with your, because Adam, I just wanted to like, let you know that having like done those one-on-one session zeros with you as a GM for those one shots that I've played for you. Those are great experiences and so much fun to like build my character and kind of understand the world and the system and your expectations. Like I've always really appreciated the way that you did that. And so oh. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Good. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm... I don't There's a little paw going. <laughs> her paw is just waving in the background frantically. <laughs> oh, this dog. Okay. Um, no, th- thank Center. you for saying that, Elise. I'm glad, like, because it's always felt kind of patchworky for me of like, oh, I'm gonna touch base with each person, and then I'm gonna kind of like get ideas from people and kind of link them up with like each other, especially for those big ga- big gay works games, like these relationships kind of happen and it's I, I kind of feel like having a session zero for those with everybody involved might be chaotic in and of itself. It's almost easier to kind of just establish role-playing opportunities and relationships and things that people can kind of hook onto. Um, but also I need to acknowledge that, like, you know, for Big Queer Orcs, I, like, I, had, I, I, I didn't do nearly as much of that as I would have liked to, right? And that part of it for me was, like, just, tr- like... It's it, it, communicating to everybody like, look, I, I know that <laughs> some of us might be feeling kind of like 
unmoored, like in terms of like what what are we doing? Like what are we gonna be playing? And like I'm sorry, but also like I want us to trust each other that like that the game is going to emerge, the the fun of it and the relationships of it, like it's gonna happen. And I was mo- more uncertain about that trust, <laughs> not about the trust, but about that kind of faith in the game than ever with Big Queer Works. But uh, fortunately, I think that it happened, like the chemistry emerged, and you know, so I, I think that there's a lot of value in us in 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 session zeros for sure. Um, and as much as possible, I think, like, I, I, yeah, encourage that and aspire to it. Um, and just to respond specifically to something you would say, Adam, I would say that for Big Queer Orcs, you absolutely did session zero. It was broken out across individual sessions, but you had conversations with people about the characters they yeah. were making. You had conversations about with people about the goal and the tone. And I, I was, for those of you who watched, you ended up seeing me near the end. I was on the entire time doing tech. So I was in there beforehand. You did more in the half hour before people got on stream than some proposed year-long campaigns do ever. And that's where you run into real problems, is if you're not a... St- like, from... And I, and I, th- I thought about this as, a, as much as I have not gotten to appear in one of the one-shots that you've done, I would have been oriented to what you wanted from me as a player. Like, oh, okay, we're here to have fun. We're, it's fine to be silly. And everyone just needs to sort of collaborate and pick up the pieces and, yeah, pick up whatever the people are putting down. You know, play with this, play and let these relationships develop. Cool. That's kind of the central part of all of this. Don't worry about the fucking system. It's it's a one-page RPG system anyway. Like, they're, they're I am in no way, shape, or form shit-talking them. We just talked about this last week. I think they're awesome. But I just mean, it's not like there's a 500-page manual you need to know this obscure ruling in. It's going to be your DM being like, ah, yeah, I guess... Roll the big, red die. <laughs> yeah, making orcs and spe- like specifically as a system also is like eighty percent of the system is built around how you get relation, build relationships, and show relationships yeah. with each other. Yeah. So like in that, yeah, and Spire, we did a session zero where all the players came together, and we just—I mean, that one was like so much just like what are the mechanics of spire just to like get people over the hurdle of like i literally have no idea what's going on right um because none of us did but there was also like a lot of tone stuff and like i think galway your point that like as a gm from the get-go making clear what your tone for a campaign is going to be and like i had uh like in that the campaign that i ran with the all four new players um like one of the players was like the partner of another player that other people didn't know and so they were really excited to play and their partner said something to me kind of who was my friend right said something kind of jokingly of like oh they love to play like you know like prankster rogue types and my other players were like hey we just want to make sure that like everyone's on board with like we're gonna show up sincerely to have like fantasy world fun and not like you know like and i was like yeah like let me check in and like just like hey just want to make sure like everyone's on board with like a sincere tone like what this is an earnest playthrough of a fantasy world where like some people come in and like it it's very similar to like you showing up with like the high elf to the table full of like you know butt smoke mcgee like character and like those smoke you heard me that was not far (laughs) off from one of the 
characters' and names at that table, incidentally. we've all seen that character, right? We know that character through and through. And, like, that table is still fun, but, like, you have to establish with your players, like, that trust in Session Zero ahead of time that, like, we're not going to show up and have one player just being like, oh, you're an elf? Well, elves are, you know, and, like, everybody else is just like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, elves are so dumb. And they have like their cosplay elf ears in their bag, you know, like it has to, like, that's not, it's just, I don't know. I think session zeros are super important. And I know we're almost out of time. I just want to also say one practice I really like for post game is as the GM saying, like, thanks everybody, you're free to go. I'm going to stick on the call for five more minutes if anyone wants to. to like jump back in because then they can just leave and players don't have to know that like they're coming back but you can just wait and if someone pops back into the call they're like actually right you can catch that like what do they call it like with doctor offices like the doorknob complaint of like on the way out like actually i was wondering about this thing going on with my ears Mm -hmm. you know yeah um same kind of thing of like as they're leaving players sometimes they're like hey wait this thing question you know i just have a question about mechanics like it just helps with like the free flow of communication of just being like i'll be on for five more minutes if anyone wants to say anything you know that's actually yeah that's a really that's a really cool idea and and thought about that kind of thing and that opportunity for because i know that i've done that and like i'll i'll end up dming andy in the discord of like wait did i pick this thing up or this thing or like did you add a stat block in it's often it's just some mundane technical question but it's nice to have that opportunity of like right then it's off the top of my mind because i'm sure it's fuck not gonna remember in two weeks um, so yeah, that's that's a really good point. There's fireworks happening and the dog is very oh, upset. I'm sorry. Oh no, Aww. that's that's Why very important. Blind? But I, the thing that I would also say, and this I, I feel kind of links back to some of the things that we were talking about earlier, and especially that Elise you were talking about so well earlier. As a GM, I would argue one of your responsibilities is either defining the tone. And that was always the way I would recommend going and accepting that there could be uncomfortable conversations that involve saying no to people. If they're the, if you're like, I want to be doing gritty realism, dark fantasy. And they're like, oh, but I have my character slapstick giggles McGee. They're like, OK, uh, maybe we rework that. What elements of that? You know, is there anything that you want to keep from that? Do you want to just make an entirely new character now that you know that's the tone? And that's not a comfortable conversation to have. We were just discussing that. You're saying no well, to someone. And we caught a really cool thing, actually. I, I don't think Ava would mind me sharing this. She was like, because Spire is like, everybody in, in the Spire Session Zero was like, I guess I'm going to make an edgy character. And Ava was like, I don't know how to play edgy. I'm like, you don't have to. Minrai doesn't have to be edgy, right? She can, like, she can be down with, like, killing in death on behalf of the clutch without being an edgelord she can just be kind of like morally neutral towards killing outside of the idea of, or when it's in relationship to right yeah. um protecting yeah. the clutch or whatever edgy at all I, I like that was the thing where you know i'm glad that she had talked about it because i definitely edge is not my strength i'm definitely great like when i get uncomfortable and things bring in humor a little too much probably and i just can't yeah i it's nice that we talked before about like in the session zero thing and and since then about you know the balance we're trying to keep of yes taking the thing seriously but also like being able to have fun with our characters too and be a little bit ridiculous with them so 
So, so you're saying that we shouldn't be expecting Nero to suddenly be in like skin tight black leather and like brooding in the corner of a cafe <laughs> in the town. I mean, those are the art directions that I gave to Monty oh. for when they're going to make my character, but yeah. we'll see oh what they do. God. When are we going to put Monty's art into the tier? Well, screen? so I literally just emailed Monty today. With yeah. my art, I know information. that they're also very busy and do. And they're, go- they're thinking, like, doing I would stuff, love to share, you know, with all of yeah, you. Yeah. Anyway, okay, all yes. right, all right. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but so um, I, I think given that we are right around nine, and I feel like we have managed to peter ourselves out into less relevant side topics, um, though still very important ones, such as uh, dogs chasing their tails. Um, and also, Monty's amazing art. And Monty's amazing art. Well, Monty's amazing art isn't a side topic. It's the main topic. That's true. Let's that's make it true. clear. Helpful Goat is a miraculous Monty art appreciation community and channel. <laughs> like, that's why we're fucking here. Um, <laughs> but I also just wanted to point out, on these tangents that we've had, uh, Tibby shared something very important in chat. One of her cats has a half tail, and when she tries to chase it, does somersaults <laughs> instead. Uh, wonderful <laughs> and precious. Everyone in on audio only needed to understand that because that mental image is amazing. Um, I would like to thank all of you in the chat for tuning in, listening, watching us. Um, I would especially like to thank Adam, Rachel, and Elise for joining me tonight. Um, I really appreciated getting to hear everybody's perspectives. I, as I do basically every week that I get to do these, um. I have shit that I want to go implement in my running of games, playing of games, thinking about allyship, thinking about all this. Like, I love getting to do these. I love getting to have these conversations. I really appreciate y'all making the time and sharing of yourselves. Um, for everyone who is in the chat, if you are not already, you can use the exclamation point Discord command to join our Discord, uh, wherein you can hear us do more of our TED Talks. Um quite frequently uh you can also uh a new thing that we've implemented for as part of our focus on our community um we're doing voting for goat's eye view topics so you can have uh, a chance to submit topics you can have a chance to vote on what we do next so by all means uh join us up in the discord from everyone here at helpful goat gaming again thank you so much to my co-speakers for coming out yeah thanks for hosting this again Thank you to everyone in chat for tuning in for the wonderful questions, for the wonderful feedback. Thank you so much to Lena, who deserves a mention of being a participant in this, even if she was not on the stream itself. And thank you so much. We love you all. Be safe. Be well. Have a great night. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night, Rika. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to hear more, check out our main podcast feed, Goats and Dragons, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. You can also learn more about our shared gaming projects at our website, HelpfulGoat.com. Follow us on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook at HelpfulGoat, and find us on YouTube by searching for Helpful Goat Gaming. And if you like what you hear, please do consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. We are a small independent game design firm and would really appreciate the support. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.